If you notice, I have glasses on. Did anybody notice that? Can you see? If not, you should try these. Um, when, when, I was a, when I was a little kid, I had trouble with my eyesight. I was nearsighted. I didn't know I was nearsighted. I just knew I couldn't see very well. And I would sit in front of the TV or see things from a distance or not see things from a distance. And I would have to squint my eyes uh, all the time. I couldn't see anything uh, very clearly. And I was that way and my parents knew, but they were very distracted and uh, they, there was nothing that they thought they could do for me. And so when I was about 12 or 13, I went on a mission trip. I was, my sister became a Christian, and she was this beautiful singer and part of the church, and then I was a nothing of any of those things, and they thought, we need to save this kid. Let's get him on the mission trip with us, uh, because, you know, it's like missionary evangelism. It was great. And so they got me to go on this mission trip with my sister, and we went down to Mexico. And on our way down there, we ended up uh, doing some work for a Habitat for Humanity type home thing, and we're, we're working. And one of the guys there saw me squinting, and he's like, hey, do you, do you wear glasses? And I say, no. He goes, I think you should. And uh, I was like, well, I've known that all my life. Uh, and so anyway, there was a nice donor that day, and that very day, they took me to an optometrist. Anybody know what optometry is? Uh, let me ask another question. Is anyone in here an uh, op optrician, optician, Optoma optician, optometrist, or ophthalmologist? Anybody in here? Any of those three things? No one. So we're all not in good shape if we have eye trouble. Uh, I'm glad for Newton, right? There's more people than just this. Um, so I went to an optometrist. And optometry is the practice or profession of examining the eyes for visual defects and prescribing correction. And that's what the optometrist did. He checked my eyes and said, you need glasses. And I was like, thank you. I've been saying this for years. I haven't, you know, playing video games is hard when you can't see it. And, uh, and so he, I got a pair of glasses that week uh, because of donors. They had pity on me because my parents did not take care of me. And so they got me a pair of glasses. And I wore glasses until I was in college. Ended up using contact lenses too. And then I got LASIK eye surgery. And I no longer needed glasses. And it was one of the best things I ever did. I loved it. It was a good, a good, uh, good experience for me. Um, but that's what optometry is. You, you examine the eyes for visual defects so that you could correct it. Now, there's another kind of optometry that we're going to talk about today, and it's spiritual optometry, where you examine the eyes of other people looking for visual defects and quick and ready to correct them. And so, if you want, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. I got a feel for the room. None of you are in that profession, but Jesus knew Jesus knew that even though we don't professionally practice optometry, he knew that we as humans would have a knack for examining other people's lives and looking for defects. And not just looking for defects, but how quick, when, you, when someone else is wrong, how easy is it to correct them, right? How, how easy is it to know, oh, I know exactly what you need to do immediately. You just know what they need to do. Well, Jesus knew we would have... This issue, that we would examine the lives of others 
looking for defects, make a quick diagnosis, and uh, no matter how superficial, no matter how many facts we didn't have, we were ready to tell them exactly what the prognosis needs to be. Let me help you correct your problem. In the Bible, it's called judging. It's in Matthew chapter 7. I know I've been guilty. How many of you have judged someone before? Right? Half of you are like, come on now. Come on. You've judged someone. I know you've judged someone. Maybe your spouse. You've judged them. Have you ever looked at the fault of your spouse and said, I'm going to hang on to that for a while. I'm just going to look at that and think about that. And I'm just going to remember that every moment for the next two hours. Has anybody ever done that where you shouldn't? You shouldn't do that. But you've judged or you've, maybe you've judged, you know, most people don't judge their kids, but how, oft, how easy is it to judge other people's kids, right? A little, a few snickers, but if you're next to them, don't say anything. You've, you've won, you've done it, you've judged someone else's, oh, their kids, <laughs> their kids are bad, not like my kids. Oh, I would correct them immediately, you know, you've judged other people or judged people at work or you've judged your neighbor. Uh, I used to have a different neighbor than I have now. And that neighbor did not care about his lawn. He just didn't. He just didn't. That wasn't a big point of his life. And I used to think, man, I wish he would care a little bit more about his yard. I mean, our yards look amazing, and his yard doesn't look amazing, and he's just the value. I just, man, I wish. Well, then I got a new neighbor, and our new neighbor really cares about the lawn. Now I'm the old neighbor with the yard that's not as nice as the two yards around me. Now I'm like, I want my bad neighbor back because it's, it's better when you're not, you know, in last place. It's just better. Uh, so anyway, we've all, we've all judged someone. We've judged in our heart. We've judged even superficially. We look at someone and we think we already know things we can't possibly know. We've judged. I've said things, I've thought things, and I've done things that I regret, and I did them out of judgment, out of a judgment of the heart, the judgment that Jesus is going to preach on. I've judged, and Jesus' sermon is so good for me. So I want to read it. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for, with the, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Do not judge. Now, I'm convinced that Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 is the most popular memory verse for non-Christians and backsliders. I'm just convinced that this verse, even above John 3.16, the world knows this verse. People outside of the church, they may not know anything about the Bible, they may not know much about Jesus, but they will quote you... <laughs> Don't judge. Jesus said it. Do not judge. Don't judge me. You can't talk about that. Don't you talk about my life. Don't you talk about my actions. Don't you talk about what I do or don't do. Don't you say a word to me about whether what I'm doing is right or wrong. No, no, no. Even Jesus, who you say you follow, said do not judge. Now, people that wrongly interpret it that way normally quote it to claim that Jesus meant you can't talk about the morality of others or about anything they do in their life. Instead, you have to approve people because you can't disapprove because judging is disapproval and judging is wrong and you're not allowed to judge. But listen, Christian, unconditional love 
does not mean unconditional approval. And when Jesus preached about judging, he was not meaning that he wasn't meaning it in that way. I don't want to show you that because if he did, if it were true that Jesus says no discernment, no critique, no evaluating, examining, if that were true, which it is not, then Jesus was a hypocrite. And in this very sermon, he, went, he circled around on himself in verse 6 when he talked about ju- dogs and pigs because he's judging at that moment. He would also be hypocritical once you get to verse 15 where he begins this teaching on the good tree producing good tree fruit and a bad tree producing bad fr- fruit and beware of false prophets, beware of hypocrites. Examine the fruits of others. Examine the lives of others. It's important for you to do this. That requires judgment. It requires discernment. So we know Jesus is not a hypocrite. We know that he wasn't on purpose circling around on himself. So what does he mean by do not judge? In John chapter 7, verse 24, he's speaking to three groups of people. You had the, the, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders who were totally off on their understanding of God. You had the crowd and you had his disciples. And he says, stop judging according to outward appearances. You know, we use the, the, the idiom, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, stop judging on outward appearances. Rather, judge, he tells us to judge, judge according to righteous judgment. Jesus actually tells us to judge. So is he being hypocritical by saying, do not judge? What does he mean then if he knows, if John 7, he's not oblivious to what he said in John 7, if he knows that he wants us to be critical and judge and he teaches us to judge, then what does that mean, do not judge? You also have his apostles, his disciples, they understood this well. In the New Testament, they teach us, judge the fruit of your leaders. Judge it. It uses the crino verb judge. You better examine their lives. There's qualifications for elders, leaders in the church. You need to be biblically qualified. They better be this, and if they're not this, you are the ones to say you're not supposed to be our elder, you're not supposed to be our leader. That's the job of the church family. There are qualifications. You have to judge. It also teaches us in the New Testament, test the spirit. Test the spirits, it's plural too. It means like test the, the attitude, the fruit of their life, what they're saying. Are they really speaking for God? You need to be careful. You need to examine what people say and what they teach and how they lead you. You have to be discerning. You have to be able to evaluate a person, a teacher in their life and what they're saying. So if the New Testament tells us to be discerning and to evaluate and examine, examine your own lives. You should be judging and you should be discerning all the time. And that's what the New Testament teaches. So what does he mean? Why would he say, do not judge? Well, you have to remember, Jesus is not forbidding us to being discerning or critical, and even he's not forbidding us to examine the lives of others, which he tells us to do in other places. Because from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what has Jesus been preaching? What has his sermons been focused on? It's been about the motive of the heart your relationship with God. If you pray, you could pray the wrong way. Depends on what's in your heart. Oh, you don't murder, but you have anger stored up in your heart? That's sinful. That's wrong. He's been focusing on what's going inside, what's go- what the motive of the heart is, how your relationship with God is, and he's not changing direction. In chapter 7, he's now turning to the heart saying, and don't judge. 
He's talking about a heart of harsh judgment, a, a criticalness that's ungodly, that's unbiblical. It's not founded on the truth. And you'll see that as we, as we walk through it. What he's teaching us is how to view and deal with the faults of others. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, Jesus preaches on judging, and the point is, I want to teach you how to deal with other people's faults, with other people's defects, and it includes how you deal with your own, which is really the centerpiece of his sermon. So he's, he's teaching us, how do we deal with our weaknesses? I mean, how do you deal with the faults of your neighbor, of your spouse, of your children, of your fellow brother or sister? How do you deal with their faults? Do you judge them? Are you just upset and mad at them? Do you talk bad about them? How do you deal with the faults of others? That's what Jesus is, is addressing. How do we look at the defects of others and how do we respond to them? That's the two things we'll learn. So let's examine what Jesus had to say uh, because it's really good. I can tell by your faces you're going to love this. <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Now, he had, there's a qualification on when he says do not judge. Do not judge, but he doesn't stop there, and that's important to understand it. Do not judge, and he gives a reason. Why shouldn't you judge in the way that he's speaking? Why shouldn't you be judgmental? Why should you not judge? So that you won't be judged. You don't want to be judged in the way that you're judging. You don't want to be judged like you are judging someone else. So he's bringing this up. The way that you judge someone is the issue. Don't judge so that, here's the reason, so that you won't be judged. Because don't judge with a standard or measurement that you would not want to be judged by. You know, we're harder on others than we would be on ourselves. I'll give you an example. I know a guy that has five kids. And some of his kids will sometimes be irate and just upset. My sibling touched this toy and they did this thing and they just go crazy. They, capital punishment, burn their bed to the ground, take all their toys from them, punish them for the rest of their lives. They should never have dessert. I mean, like, I know a guy. And one and a couple of his kids are very serious about justice. And if they're wronged, if there is a fault that has been done, buddy, they, you better buckle up because that person, maximum sentence, whatever the full extent of the law, plus a little, just really, they need a spanking. I don't need to spank them. Let me talk to them. I don't know. I think they need 10 spankings. Like, they just need a ton of spankings. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's what I've learned as being a dad with kids. When they are being wronged, they want justice. But when they make mistakes, they want mercy. They want mercy. Do I still have to be punished because I, I know better now and I was wrong and please forgive me. I, I love you. You know, like they, they're just so ready. They're ready, just, just mercy. You know, God was gracious. How are you? You know, like that. Yeah, my kids, my kids are already like me. Uh, Jesus is bringing this standard and measurement because as adults, we don't really grow out of this. We think we do, but we don't. You know what the difference is? is I've, I mean, this is just my opinion, uh, and I'll get back to the scripture. This is really just my opinion. In, as I've studied this and prayed on this, 
I think adults are the same way. We're just more quiet about it. We don't want to embarrass ourselves, but we judge in our heart the same way. Justice for them, mercy for me. And I think Jesus brings this out in this sermon. There's a parallel passage. Now, when I say parallel, I don't mean this is the exact same preaching time that Jesus preached on this. Jesus preached on this content multiple times, over 200 synagogues around Galilee and where he preached. He preached multiple times, and in Luke's gospel, he gives us another time in which Jesus preached on the same topic. Jesus repeated his sermons over and over because he went town to town having to preach the sermons over and over, and his disciples, in order to remember it, needed to hear it a bunch, kind of like you and me. Kind of like us. We need to hear this more than once. I need to hear it as many times as I can get it. Uh, and so in Luke's account, Luke is a gospel that's written by Dr. Luke, historian Luke, and it's different. You know, Matthew's gospel was written primarily to Jews. It was written to people who had a solid foundation of the Old Testament. They understood the concept of judgment and they understood it in an Old Testament way. They understood judgment as when you give a judgment, you're giving a verdict. You're you're giving the final word. When someone is being judged, that means they are being punished. However, they're going to be punished. It's decided there's no trial, there's no future, they're being judged. In Luke's account, Luke is not writing primarily to Jewish people. So Luke's account, he brings up a couple times when Jesus would preach this. He added some things to this sermon, and we see that in Luke's account. Do not judge, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. So Jesus preached this again. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. In Luke's account, he references the time that Jesus added and do not condemn. Why did he add this? Because his audience, he was full of the Spirit. He was preaching to them and knew they needed to hear this. He added condemn. The derivative of condemn is vengeance. So if you just use the, the Greek word is krino for judgment. If you just use that word to non-Jews of this day, the Gentiles, the Romans, the, the barbarians, you know, just the non-Jewish people... They understand judgment and discernment on one level, and you have to add condemnation because that's different. That's a deeper level of, and it's over. Like, here's the judgment, here's what I think, and here's what needs to happen. You're guilty, go to jail, do not pass go, you're done. Kind of like the kids that just want justice and not mercy. So he says, and don't condemn, or you, and you will not be condemned. And then he adds, forgive, and you will be forgiven. Don't judge, don't condemn, Instead, forgive. So this brings to life what Jesus is preaching about that his people would understand. Don't be judgmental. Don't judge. Instead, forgive. So instead of judgment, give forgiveness. So Jesus' first point that we'll, we'll point out is see the faults of others with compassion. View the faults of others, their wrongdoings, their defects, their faults, their, I don't like that, and they're doing wrong. View it with compassion. Instead of judgment, offer forgiveness. And you might say, well, how serious is Jesus about this forgiveness idea? How much is forgiveness opposed to judgment? Well, Think about what he says in verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. 
a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. When Jesus preached this sermon, he gave a parable or an illustration that he didn't give before. And he said, you guys know what it's like to go to the grocery store and someone's leveling out and weighing your stuff and how much is this worth? And you, you've, you've received generosity before. Someone wanted to be kind to you and nice to you and they just loaded it up. They gave you extra, extra. I remember one time going to Brahms and I just, I just got a single cone. Now, I could have afforded a double scoop. You know, I'm doing okay. But I got a single one and, and the person that was giving it accidentally gave me two and they're like, no, I'll just take it. And I was like, you are just the reflection of the image of God right now. I was like, you know what? This is exactly what Christ meant right here. Two scoops of chocolate almond at Brahms. That's, no. Uh, it was generous. So that's the idea. They experienced something like that in their marketplace. Now, you'll never go to Walmart and have someone say, hey, let me throw in a couple extra things, unless that person's a criminal. Uh, but back in their day, you would weigh things differently. You could be generous. And so he's like, listen, give and it will be given to you. You know what it's like to, be, to receive generosity? Don't give judgment. Give forgiveness. Give compassion. Be generous. So, see the faults of others with compassion. Be fair in your judgments because that's how you're going to be judged. So, see the faults of others with compassion. And then Jesus starts stepping on our toes. He's just been playing it nice so far. He's like, don't judge. You don't want to be judged either. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to be judged either. And then he gets a little harder because some of us need to hear it. We all need to hear it. Some of us need to hear it again. Verse 3, he starts getting, he starts stepping on our toes. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? So now he's, he's hitting home. He's like, you know what another problem with our judgment? One thing, we're not fair and we don't treat others like we want to be treated, which he actually repeats later in this very chapter. You know what else is wrong? Is you notice their small thing and seem to just be oblivious about your thing. Now, I wanted to illustrate this because I've heard this taught wrongly. When people read the splinter in their eye, or your version might say the speck, the idea is dust. It's, like, it's normally like, uh, think of sawdust, you know. You have something in their eye. They did not have uh, eye surgery like we have today. So in their day, when he says the speck in their eye, it means like something in someone's eye. If you've ever had something in your eye, it's very small, right? For me to notice something in your eye, I have to be really close to you, examining very closely your thing in your eye. And when he says the beam in my eye, a lot of people think, well, this is what Jesus, no, I shouldn't say it like that, that's demeaning. And they're, they're right for thinking this in a way. They think, well, how do you notice the small thing in their life that's wrong, the fault, the defect, but you don't notice the gigantic beam of wood in your eye, the log in your eye. You're worse than they are. How do you notice their small thing? That's how some people take the passage. You're worse, you have worse things, don't notice their small thing. But that doesn't always make sense, does it? Some of us secretly go, but, but my thing isn't as bad as their thing. I mean, some people are really worse than you. I mean, sometimes their thing is like, no, their thing's pretty good. I mean, like, it's bad. I'm like, I have bad things, but I feel like they're the log, I'm the splinter. You've got to understand what Jesus was meaning by the eyes, okay? I'll give you an example. How big is my finger to you? Small, right? My finger's small, if you look at my eye and look at my finger, you're thinking, dude, that finger's not very huge. 
Guess how big my finger is to me right now? It's like blocking 20 people at a time. My finger is humongous. The reason why he uses splinter and log is they're made of the same substance. It's the same thing. It's metaphorical. No one has a beam of wood in their eye. He's exaggerating to make the point. It's the splinter in your eye, but when the splinter's in your eye, how big is it? Huge. It's the same thing. You're not worse than anyone else. You've got splinters too, and his point is, it ought to look humongous to you. How in the world are you looking at their speck when you got this huge thing in your eyesight? Your vision should ought to show your splinters really well, and yet you conveniently overlook your own stuff and notice the very small thing that's in their eye. So the point is not you're worse than your neighbor. That also is unbiblical and doesn't make any sense, and people just say that to false humility. You're just as sinful as your neighbor. We're all sinners, and we need grace. It took just as much blood to cover and atone for my sin as it did for yours. We are all recipients of grace. But my problems ought to look bigger and be more important and be my first focus, not yours. It ought to look like this in my life, and it ought not look like that in your life. If I treat your small thing like it's that big and ignore my own, I'm a hypocrite which is what Jesus' point was. So, see the faults of others with compassion and see your own faults with conviction. His point is you have to notice your own stuff, the beam of wood that's in your own eye. See your own faults with conviction. How can you notice someone else's wrongdoing and ignore your own? And that's a hard issue. And that's what Jesus preaches about. He's not, in it, he's not in it to just make you moral. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. The problem is your heart, my heart. It's so much easier for me to notice their thing and not to deal with my own. The whole sermon is about him saying, how do you view and see the faults of others and yourself? And you've got to deal with how you view it before you can address it. How do you see it? We ought to see our own faults with conviction. Then he continues in verse 4. Or, how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Is he repeating himself? No. The first thing he said was, you don't notice it. You see it, you don't notice it. Now he's moved on to, now you're trying to address their problem. Now you want to correct somebody's fault. Now you want to tell your spouse, yeah, you shouldn't do that if you love me. You know, now you're moving on to correction. So he's saying, how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your own eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye. Now no one has a log in their eye. It's a splinter too. But it ought to look that way to you. It ought to be significant like that to you. Don't look at other people's problems as if they're worse than your own. See it for what it is. Jesus wants you to see your splinters for what they really are for you. And it ought to be big. And your, your, other, your neighbor, your spouse, your children, your friend's children, their splinters ought to look very small. And you shouldn't judge them. So first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. We should see our own faults with conviction. And once we do, we're able to move on to the next step. 
Now we can start addressing the issue. Now we can deal with our faults. Because he doesn't just want us to learn how we ought to perceive our faults. He really wants us to address them. So, point three, we ought to address our own faults first. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye. So before you try to deal with somebody else's problem, you have to deal with your own. In Luke chapter 6, verse 39, the parallel passage, he also told them a parable. Can a blind guide lead the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye. Now, in Luke's account, Jesus used a parable that he didn't use in Matthew's account. This must have been a different time, or Matthew just didn't include it. Either way, Jesus felt the need to say, and let me give you another illustration for you to think about. Can a blind person lead another blind person? Now, everyone knew, no. Why? What's going to happen? They're both going to fall into a pit. What Jesus is teaching us is, if you do not appropriately appropriately deal with your own faults and see them for what they are. You don't downplay them. You don't ignore them. You're not blinded by them. If you don't deal with your own, you can't help the other person deal with theirs. You will be incapable of helping them handle their issues. I could tell you from everything I've experienced as a minister, as a pastor, whether it's been in addiction recovery or just counseling or everything else, one thing I've noticed is true. When someone has an issue, it's easy to want to say, this is what you need to do. Just do this. And that's likely not what they need. What they need is someone that can resonate with them and say, I have splinters too. This is really difficult. Let me tell you how God has dealt with my splinters. Let me share with you because that compassion won't come if you're proud. Compassion and pride can't live in the same room ever. And so... You have, to, you have to deal and address with your, your own issue first. So he, he uses this illustration of a blind person. A blind person that hasn't, meaning the person that hasn't dealt with their own stuff, cannot help you deal with yours. What they're going to give you is superficial behavior modification, uh, cliche arguments of what you need to do, and I don't need to worry about that. You're just going to judge them, and you're not going to help them. You're going to hurt them. And Jesus doesn't want us to hurt each other. He wants us to help each other. And so he's giving them an illustration. Can the blind lead the blind? No. So don't be the blind man trying to lead another blind person. And being blind doesn't mean you don't know the truth. Being blind means you haven't dealt with it. So there's a difference. You can know the truth. I'll give you an example. Some, you know, there's an illustration here. Uh, There's a person right now that's arguing uh, that the Christian church has been hypocritical in this way as it deals with sexuality. Because... Sexual immorality is just as bad within the church as it is outside, whether couples are living together or sleeping together before marriage or anything else. Adultery, pornography, just as bad inside. So why do Christians think, I'll just focus on the homosexual side that's immorality. I'll just focus on that. And there's been arguments about, well, you can't say one without the other. Well, that's not true. The Bible does speak about homosexuality. It does speak about our gender and sexuality, and we ought to stand up for what's right. And what they're saying is also true. We can't be hypocrites then. And this is what Jesus is talking about. 
the world's going to notice a blind person leading a blind person. Even if a person's not a believer, they know hypocrisy when they see it. And if we're not following the Lord, at least being honest about it, then how ineffective are we going to be? I'll tell you how ineffective we're going to be. We're going to be like a blind person trying to lead a blind person. And that's not what Jesus designed the church to be like. So we have to be honest about what's true. We have to be honest about our own splinters. Take the splinter out of our eye and then we will be able to clearly see and help the person with the splinter in their eye. Amen. You cannot help someone else with their faults if you haven't dealt with your own. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I admit this every Sunday. I am not very professional. I don't come up here acting like you all would want to be like me. I don't do that on purpose because that's not true. I'm very genuine with you. I have sinful tendency and temptations and whether it's eating or entertainment, I have been as transparent on this stage as I could possibly be. Possibly be. The church needs to be transparent because people might be impressed with your achievement and your strengths, but they will only connect with you relationally when they see your imperfections and you've owned them. People want to see honesty, and that's what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus' last word of advice about taking out the splinter in your brother's eye is address the faults of others carefully. Now, if you have your outline, which I know you all do because you all take notes because you want to make disciples and teach this to your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors, so I just know you're already writing this down as you should. If Jesus were here, I guarantee he'd tell you stuff like that because you will forget it in an hour. You're going to totally forget the sermon if you don't digest the word and meditate on it, memorize it, think about it, question me, examine the word for yourself. I just said Jesus wants us to judge people and test the spirits. You ought to look in the New Testament because the world does not believe that. You ought to be studying the scripture for yourself. Uh, sorry, I got a little hyped up there. But the point that I was trying to make, address the faults of others carefully. He's using what's called chiasm. It's a, it's a chiastic structure. It looks like, you know, people say an X, or it looks like the greater than symbol. If you notice in your outline, point one is how you see the faults of others. That's like A, a prime indented is seeing your own faults, and then B prime is addressing your own faults, and then B is addressing the faults of others. Jesus is using this way of teaching, it's common for them, it's not as for us, to make the point emphatically clear. The centerpiece in order for you to get this sermon is, how do you view and deal with your own faults, your own defects? Uh, think about it another way. If you look at a mountain, this is a Sermon on the Mount. If you look at a triangle, the point is the apex. That's the top. That's the most important. That's the pinnacle. That's how he's teaching. The bottom of the mountain is seeing other people's faults, seeing your fault, dealing with your faults, and then dealing with other people's faults. That's how he's trying to teach, and he's doing this so they'll remember it, and they'll meditate on it, and they'll realize, you know what's most important in Jesus' mind? is not correcting other people. It's being honest with my own stuff. That is his point. So you see the faults of others, see your own faults, address your own faults, address the faults of others. And you need to address the faults of others carefully, which is his point in verse 6. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. Why not? Everyone knows why not. Or else they will trample them under their feet 
Then they're going to turn to you because it's not food that they want, and they're going to tear you to pieces. They're going to trample them and tear you to pieces. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, let me give you an illustration first, and then I'll explain it. Uh, how, how, how much do you like someone poking around your eye? How much do you like that? Is it fun? It's fun when someone's poking around your eye. Um, I had shingles last year, and it was a real issue, and my face was red, and it hurt, and I had, like, headaches and all kinds of painful stuff. And eventually, because my wife's a nurse, it took a couple days, but then eventually I went to the doctor. And I go to the doctor, and they're like, hey, dude, you need to go to the real doctor. And so they sent me to the ER. I go to the ER, and the lady's looking. She's like, I think you have shingles, and I think it's in your eye. That's why it's red, and you can barely see, and you have these headaches. And anyway, an ophthalmologist off the clock came to the ER here in Newton. I love this place, by the way. Here in Newton, ophthalmologist came to the hospital after hours, met me, took me into his office, and checked my eye. Now, this ophthalmologist put some stuff in my eye, said, I'm going to need to touch your eye, I'm going to need to pressurize, and he just said all this stuff, and I'm like, dude, whatever, whatever you need to do, you just do, because this is killing me, and I don't want this, and he used this machine. I can tell you right now, if he were not an ophthalmologist, you think I'd let him touch my eye like that? No way. I would not welcome one of you in here to do that to my eye, not one of you, because that's not who you are. That's not what you're good at. That's not what you need to do. Not everybody likes you poking around their eye. Not everybody's going to want you to make mention of their defects. So Jesus said, now you got to deal with your own beam before you deal with the splinter of others, before you carefully take out, you know, help them with theirs. But not everybody's going to like that, and that's his point in verse 6. Don't give to dogs what is holy. Back then, he's not speaking about real dogs and pigs. He's speaking about unbelievers, he tells them, listen, you're going to want to be careful, take care of your stuff, and then deal with the faults of other people. But I warn you, not everybody's going to like this. Don't give to dogs what is holy. They're going to be unbelievers. You don't need to spend your time correcting the behavior of unbelievers. You don't need to go to unbelievers and say, speck, speck, splinter, splinter. I've, I've dealt with it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have problems in this area. Splinter, you need to deal with this. Because just like a dog would eat it or a pig would trample over it, they don't believe in the Bible as God's word. They're not thinking that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's the Lord and Savior, and I need to do whatever he says, and that the Bible speaks about homosexuality in six different places in the Bible, and all six times says it's an abomination and it's immoral and it's not what God designed. They don't believe in that. They're going to take your opinion and they're going to trample all over it. They're going to talk about how hateful you are and how mean you are and wrong you are and unloving. You're unloving and, and everything else under the sun. They're going to throw it back at you. They're going to turn and then they're going to attack you. They're going to tear you to pieces. What Jesus was saying is you don't judge the splinters of outsiders, non-believers. Don't give it to them because they're just going to trample all over it and then attack you. And that's not why I came. So... There's a very hard truth to accept. It's biblical, and I'll explain part of it. You need to examine the scriptures. Jesus taught us to treat unbelievers differently than believers. We do not judge unbelievers. I can show you in multiple places. Paul wrote about it. Jesus talked about it. You do not judge non-believers. You don't go to them and say, hey, there's a speck in your eye. Let's deal with it. They're not going to receive that. That's not what's most important because Jesus didn't came to modify people. He came to save them. 
Believers need to judge one another, judge our fruit, help one another. I'll give you an example. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Guess how many times he says, go to non-believers and point out their immorality faults? None. What they need to do is be saved. They need a relationship with Jesus as Lord. Who cares? What if you modify the behavior of everyone in Newton, but they're lost? Is that what Jesus wants? Is that the kingdom? No. Now, does that mean, oh, don't mention any of their sins? No, Jesus was the most hated guy of his time. Of course you're going to offend people, and you should stand up for what's right, and you should tell the truth. Jesus is speaking about a personal one-on-one, judging your neighbor by examining their lives and noticing their faults. Don't waste your time faulting the behaviors of non-believers. What they need is, is salvation. Jesus came to save them. They need a redeeming relationship with Jesus. Don't waste your time talking about all their sins. They have plenty of them, just like you. The only difference between them and you is you are saved, and that's Jesus' intent. Jesus wants to save them. So spend your time giving them the gospel, the good news of salvation. Now, they might turn and tear that to pieces too, but that's not what he refers to. He's talking about noticing the splinter in your brother's eye. That's a believer. We only are supposed to judge the fruit of our fellow brothers and sisters. It's a hard truth to swallow. It's complicated. It's not easy to teach. God does not intend for you to treat non-believers the same way as believers when it comes to defects and faults. And Jesus ends with that, saying, and don't waste your time with non-believers judging them. That's not what they need. What they need is salvation. They don't need behavior modification. We are sanctified by the Spirit through the truth. What they need is salvation. A dead person can't live better. A dead person's dead. They need resurrection, and that's only possible through the good news of Jesus Christ, period. And so that's what we ought to focus on. So ask yourself questions. One, are they dogs or pigs? I know that sounds derogatory. It just is what it is. That's the language of their day. Are they believers or not? If they're not believers, don't be focused on their splinter. Focus on the heart. They need salvation. If they are believers... If they have splinters, if they have faults, be gentle, be compassionate, be a fellow sinner with them. I also have sins, I also have imperfections, I have temptations, I give in to sin, and I need the grace of God. Share with them the sanctification that God has brought in your life and show them what it's like to follow Him and be a disciple. Make disciples of all nations. Show them what it looks like to follow Him in that. Show them what it looks like to confess, to repent, to say, I need forgiveness. Show them that with your life. You can't do that if you're looking at their faults and they're worse than your own. You have to you have to have all of this in one in one way. Also, being gentle means uh, removing the splinter nicely. In my home, I am not the official splinter remover. Part of it is because my wife's a nurse and she's just great at nurse stuff. And so, splinters is a nurse stuff. You don't need a doctor for a splinter. You just need a good nurse. And so my kids will go to her. But there's also another secret in this whole deal. Uh, I'm kind of rough. And so with my kids, I'm like, give me your hand. I take their hand and I pull out my big knife and I'm like, I'll get the splinter out. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. Don't you cry. Just don't look. You know, that's, 
And, and Courtney's like, oh, go get your favorite Teddy. Let's get a blanket. Let's pray about it first. Like, oh, we'll just like put on some nice music. It's like all this stuff. Let's get on the bed. And like, oh, we'll just take this splinter out and all that. Like, that's not me. And so what people need is not an impatient, rough person pointing out their splinters. That's not what they need. They need someone like Courtney. They need gentleness. They need seasoned with salt, thoughtful, humble, careful, go get your teddy, let's get a blanket, let's deal with it. A lot of people need that, and that's part of what Jesus was teaching. Uh, Don't give it to non-believers. Are they open to feedback? Are they asking for advice? Uh, Are they voicing or confessing their sin? Bring it up if they are. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. And he's talking about the harsh judgment where you're better than them and you're not being compassionate and you think theirs are worse than you. Everyone who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself. Remember, the same standard and measure. You judge yourself since you, the judge, do the same things. Now, it may not be the exact same thing. Like I struggle with food and entertainment. That may not be your same thing. But you give in to temptation too. Maybe yours is anger or pride or whatever. You can have things too. You struggle with sin too. And you want to own that and be compassionate that way. Let that bring compassion out. You do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think, any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? So you think God's going to just treat you differently and show favoritism to you? Or do you despise the riches of His kindness restraint and patience, the gentle splinter taking out. Do you not recognize that God is gentle with you, with your splinters, and it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you toward repentance? You know how God the Father treats you? He doesn't look at your splinter and say, that's it, you're out of my house, never come back, I don't want anything, you'll never learn. I'm glad God's not that way with me or else I wouldn't, I wouldn't be walking with God today. I need every bit of mercy and compassion he has to offer. If God has been that way with me, how crazy would it be if I'm harder on other people? That's just crazy. So don't judge and think that you're just getting away with it. Treat people like you want to be treated. Show that mercy and compassion Focus on your stuff first and deal with it, and then you'll be in a place that you're able to help someone else. George Horn, a Christian, he's already passed away. He wrote, these are such good, timely words even for today. This is old-timey words, but you'll hear it. We are neither to hate the men on account of the vices they practice, nor to love the vices for the sake of the men who practice them. Jesus never gave us the right to hate. He never gave us the right to withhold forgiveness. He never gave us the right to show partiality, no matter who a person is or what they do. He told us to treat people a very particular way with love and compassion and mercy. And he told us not to judge. Not to judge the wrong way in that we wouldn't want to be judged. And not to judge non-believers. Don't judge the world. You have to go out of the world. I didn't say don't, don't 
have meals with the world, you know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I'm talking about the person who says they're a Christian, totally lives otherwise. That's the person that you need to say, dude, I can't eat with you because you love them. Hand them over, hand their flesh to the devil so that the, for the salvation of their soul. You do need to be judge, judging and fruit inspectors with the family in a loving way, but don't judge the world. Don't spend your time judging them. And when you judge, be careful because you're going to be judged the same way. Keep in mind the mercy and kindness of God. There's a couple of things I'm thinking, and I don't know if it's, the, if it's what I need to share. So I'm going to pray, and I want to ask you to pray. Have you been judgmental in your heart towards someone? And you have treated their sins in a way that you wouldn't want your sins to be treated. And you have focused and noticed their splinters as it's the redwood tree of your whole life when really it's your own thing that you ought to be focused on. Father, we need your love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and patience. And so we just lay this before your feet. We know that you've called us not to be a people who judge, but who show compassion and mercy while being discerning, while inspecting fruit, while being careful with the, not, with the believer in rebuking and correcting and teaching and training in righteousness. Would you help us be balanced like you were? Help us to treat our brothers and sisters like brothers and sisters and help us to treat our neighbor as you treated your neighbor. Help us win Newton for Christ with compassion and truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are the church. There's a lot of weight to that. There's a lot of responsibility. Jesus says the church is the hope of the world. We are the light and the salt. Let's go be the church. Grace, we are sent.